Hey everyone, and welcome to the Yes I Can podcast, where our mission is to inspire and empower you to transform your life and transform the world by being fully, unapologetically, authentically you. I'm your host, Paul Can, and every week we are going to share amazing stories, strategies, and coaching to help you break through your limiting beliefs and supercharge your greatest superpower, the power of you. Your best life awaits. Let's go. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Yes, I Can podcast. This is your host, Paul Can here. And first of all, I just want to sincerely, I know I say this at the beginning of, of every episode, but I sincerely, truly appreciate those of you that are tuning in right now that have been on this journey with me or even a portion of this journey with me in this Yes, I Can uh, call it chapter that I have opened up in my life, as well as this journey of exploring the power of authenticity. I had an inkling to do a podcast about, call it five years ago, and I didn't do anything about it for about three of those years. And I'm just really grateful that I've had the opportunity to turn this mic on and be able to put into the world not only my thoughts, but also share some thoughts of others that I've had the beautiful honor of being able to be in conversation with through this podcast. And about a week ago, I found out I got an email. I was actually on a trip to New York and I got an email that, uh, wasn't one that I was wanting to receive. And I think a lot of times we receive things that we don't necessarily want, but it ends up being what we need. And I found out that one of the platforms that have been hosting this podcast and has also been supporting it with some funding as well has decided to unfortunately, cut this podcast from their lineup. And initially, I was pissed off. I'm not going to lie. I was definitely upset. I was feeling like it was unfair. I felt like it wasn't given a fair shake. And then I paused. And it was actually an opportunity for me to evaluate as a totality of this podcast, whether or not it was still aligned for me. And what did this mean for me from the whole picture of the Yes, I Can brand, as well as the direction that I'm headed overall with my business and also with my life. And I realized after some contemplation and some thought that this podcast wasn't actually in alignment with the direction that I'm headed in anymore and that it doesn't serve me for where I'm going anymore. Um, I think a lot of times we start a project and we have a vision for it. And the beautiful thing about that vision is that it sometimes changes. And I think that there are moments that allow us the opportunity to choose. And it's really hard. I actually found that it's been something maybe that's been, um, you know, whispering. I wouldn't say that it's been shouting, but probably whispering in my heart for a little while. But I think it's a difficult thing to acknowledge that voice. I think it's one thing to hear it, 
whether it's loud or whether it's soft within us, but it's another thing to acknowledge that it actually exists because I realize I have never in my entire life had the permission to fail. And I remember growing up, I was always, always the underdog. And even though I was the underdog, and I remember there was there was one time where I was um, preparing to compete in a piano competition, and I was just struggling. The piano teacher kept giving me heck and yelling at me and telling me that I, I, it wasn't good enough, I wasn't doing it good enough, and there was just like I was such a disappointment to her, and it it was the hardest pill to swallow because it's one thing to have not tried and put in your effort and to not be creating the results. But it was another thing to really feel like I was really putting in my all, but at the same time that it just wasn't up to par. It wasn't creating the results that I wanted it to. And I remember my piano teacher looking at me and telling me that I, it was a, it was a big competition too, in terms of there was a lot of very strong competitors and it was a big class in terms of, I think there was probably 15 or 16 different people that were competing in the same category as I am. And I think from what she was saying, she's like, there's just number one, no way that you're going to win. And number two is that you're probably from as strong as a class as this going to score probably one of the last. And it was really devastating for me to hear that. And I remember going home and I, I was just so disheartened. And my mom looked at me and she said that you can do this. You can do this. Don't give up. Put your head down. Keep practicing. And let's make, and her name was Mrs. Wong. Let's make Mrs. Wong, Mrs. Wrong. And I did. I put my head down and I just practiced and I practiced and I kept practicing over and over and over all the different things that she kept telling me. And the thing back then my mom used to do that was actually so helpful is that <laughs> back then there wasn't, you know, phones like we do have them now. And my mom had this cassette recorder that she would put and there was a little microphone that she would put by the piano as, as I was in my piano lessons. And then she would play it back. My mom would sit next to me and she'd play back the tape and play back the tape. And we'd listen to the feedback I was getting in with my piano teacher. And she would coach me. My mom would coach me, even though she wasn't a piano teacher herself, but she had this knack for just taking in the information and being able to, to coach me with it. And I kept going and I just kept practicing and practicing and practicing. And so when I went to the piano competition, it was so daunting because number one, I remember it was a really big room and I was, I think in the middle of the pact or, or one of the last, and it's really, really daunting as a, I don't even remember how exactly old I was, probably 13 or 14, somewhere around there to be in a room in this auditorium and there's all these parents along with all these kids and you hear about all these different kids kind of through the grapevine around how great they are at piano, at their craft and they're with other famous teachers and so on and so forth. And I just remember shaking and I was nervous and I sat down at the piano and in that moment, I just trusted myself. I just trusted myself and I just played and I just played. And I remember by the time I bowed, because uh, we would bow at the beginning of the end of the performance. And by the time I was finished and I bowed, I felt really proud of myself. Felt really proud of myself because I gave it my all. I truly feel like I left it all at the piano. And 
going back to my seat, I was so nervous. Like my hands were shaking and I, I don't even remember the rest of like what happened and, you know, the other people's performances. But all I remember is uh, I'd be rubbing my hands and, and I was shaking. Like my whole body was shaking because I was so nervous. It's one thing to give it your all, but it's another thing to see if it was good enough. Like, was that enough? Leaving it all on the table. And I was really nervous. And at the very end, the adjudicator would stand in front of the room and would flip each book one by one and call out the student, the competitor. And then there would be this sheet where they wrote down all of their comments and their thoughts. And there is a, uh, there is a mark at the very end out of a hundred and out of that mark, you're ranked first, third, second, third. And so I remember just watching every single competitor before me and they got such good feedback, such good feedback, such good feedback. And it came down to me and I don't exactly remember what they said, but I also got great feedback as well. So I think, you know, it's that, that moment of like, where do I stand with everybody? Right. And what the first competitor, you know, was called out for third place. Right. And then everyone would clap, but they come to the front and there's a certificate, right? And my heart's just pumping because it's one of those things where it's like, okay, well, I'm excited. I'm glad that I'm not third, but at least, but am I second or am I possibly first or am I just not, didn't even rank altogether? And then the second person was called for second place and everyone clapped and that person went to the, to, to the front. And, and if anything, it was like a sigh of relief, but also there was this incredible nervousness. There was like this lump in my throat because it's all or nothing at this point, right? And then at the very next, the, the the very next certificate that they pulled out and there was this pause and they called out my name. And I remember that moment was so surreal because I was written off in the first place. I was not even supposed to rank. I was not even supposed to place. I was not even supposed to be in the top 10 of this particular group, but somehow I pulled it off. And I felt really proud of myself in that moment. And I walked up and everybody was clapping. My face was all red, you know, because I, I was still, as a kid, very, uh, I was very embarrassed to, to draw attention to myself, even though I truly loved being in the spotlight. But I also, funny enough, even though I performed so much, been made wrong to draw too much attention to myself. And, you know, I don't really remember the rest of that day, but that really stuck with me. Because the really interesting thing, even though I won, was that I felt like there was still, even though I was not slated to even be considered to win, there was still an expectation from my mom that I would somehow. And that actually has happened my entire life, where even when I was written off, there is an expectation that I'm supposed to pull it off somehow, that I'm going to make it happen. And I have at many, 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 many junctions in my life. And the really interesting thing is that as I've approached my adult years, and now you know I'm in my 30s, like well into my adult years, and now that I'm a father, I have realized that also at the same time, my lack of permission to fail has also held me back from going for it in many opportunities in my life, especially the ones where there was no safety net. Because here's the thing. It's one thing to go for a piano competition, and at the end of the day, yeah, if I don't place, right, it's fine. I mean, the sun is still going to rise the next day. I'm still going to go back to school. It's not like I don't have money to to pay for my mortgage or, you know, pay for my car payments and nobody's depending on me to provide. It's a whole other ball game when you're 13 and when you're 32 
and you have a son and you have a wife and you have a mortgage and you have car payments and you have all that kind of stuff. You have payments and you have, you, you got to buy groceries and it's on you. And I think that has been heavier and heavier and heavier on me as the years go by. And when I got that email from this platform, there was this, there was an incredible heaviness with it because in the back of my head, I thought to myself, how in the world am this is really going to affect, this is going to affect not only my, my podcast, but it's going to affect my ability, my income. And, and it's very real when every dollar counts, when you have a child that is seven months and depending on you to feed them, when you have a wife that is depending on you to provide for them, it's a different, it hits you different. And I realized that heaviness also came from how I've such had high expectations of myself to never fail. In fact, when I was in high school, I never, actually even up to university, never said the word fail. You know, what, growing up, there's this term, I think they still say it, right? When someone does something stupid or whatever it is, you go fail, you know, or something like that, right? Oh, epic fail. I never would say the word fail because I felt like that was almost like a jinx. It's like it, that, that can't even be a word in my vocabulary because God forbid I acknowledge that failure is an option. What would that mean for who I am? Who would that mean? What would that mean for my worthiness? What would that mean for my enoughness? And I feel like growing up as an Asian kid, failing is just not an option. Like I almost envy Caucasian people. Like there's this whole thing right now of you hear um, how kids are soft. And I hear this all the time, right? I'm sure you have as well. Kids are soft um, because there's participation ribbons. There isn't competition anymore. And, uh, just to go out there and have fun. Like what kind of kids are we producing out there that they're, they don't have this fire, this competitive streak about them anymore. That mediocrity is okay. It's so interesting. Cause for me, that is actually a luxury growing up as an Asian kid, just participating and going out there and giving it your all and just to have fun is not even an option. It is not an option to go out there and have fun and just do it for the sake of doing it, just to be in the journey and the and, and, and savor the process. That that is not that is not acceptable. And, and it's actually true. And I'm not gonna say this for everybody, but I know most Asians can probably relate to this. And this definitely was the case for me, where it's not even an option to get a B plus, let alone fail. Not even an option to get an A minus, let alone fail. When I would literally get 98% or 95% and I come home to my mom, she would tell me, Great, but why didn't you get a hundred? Like that actually is was a reality for me. This isn't just a cliche that you hear. This happens. I lived through it. And so I lived my entire life up until now with an expectation that even when the odds are against me, I cannot fail. Even if I give it my all, I cannot fail. And I've realized in this entire process, I have stopped having fun. I've stopped learning to enjoy the process because it's not about the process. It was not about the process. It was about the outcome. It was always achievement oriented. And if it isn't the, the best outcome, it's a failed outcome. And I have realized that has sucked the life out of me. And recently I've been doing a lot of inner child work 
and working with my coach as well as in a mastermind I'm in and actually in a uh, virtual conference I've been in for the past couple of days. The theme that keeps coming back is what would your child, your five-year-old self, your inner child, what would they have wanted? What would he have wanted? What would he have wanted at five years old? My inner child at five years old would have just wanted to have fun. I was the kid that would go take things and build it and just be in my imagination and my creativity. And I would take all these toys and I would just migrate all across the house and, you know, under the table and under the couch um, and under the piano. And, you know, in my closet, I would just make anywhere my playground. And I loved it. It was freaking amazing until someone made it wrong, until it was too much, too naughty, too loud, too messy. And then all of a sudden, all those different things that had me feel alive, I started diminishing and I made myself smaller and smaller and smaller until I realized when I had my son that I didn't know how to have fun. And it's so true. This really was true for me that I feel like when parents have children, when, when, well, sorry, when adults have children, parents, of course, have children to be parents. Um, it's like this permission to be a kid again. And I think we borrow that. We borrow that permission to be silly, to be fun, to be outrageous, to be crazy. Because we're like, oh, we have kids, right? I'm doing it to entertain my kid. But really deep underneath our inner child is like, this is freaking amazing to just play for the sake of playing. And so when I look at this podcast, yeah, on one hand, um, walking away from it, and this will be my second last podcast. And I, 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 I thought to myself, what would I want to talk about in my second last podcast? And I thought long and hard about it. I started making lists about top 10 things that I learned. And that's so, I was like, that's something I was like, I, I literally fell asleep trying to make the list. Cause I'm like, this is so freaking boring. Like I have become so freaking boring because I have not had permission to play. I've not had permission to fail. I've not had permission to go all the way and to be proud of myself and okay with whatever the outcome is at the end and knowing that I will be okay no matter what, that I am still worthy and I am lovable and I am, I am um, powerful and I am you know, the awesome human being that I am no matter how this turns out. And that was so liberating to realize that, to come to that conclusion that what my five-year-old self would have wanted was to just savor the process, to savor when I would take uh, the Halloween buckets and put them around my arm as uh, uh, pretend flotation devices and swim through the air in my living room and then grab all my toys and migrate under the table and make that my camp for a night. That was freaking freeing. There was no rhyme or reason to it. It's just that I loved doing it. It was just fun. I did it for the sake of it being fun. But then over time, everything that I needed to do needed to be for a reason or else it was a complete waste of time. The reason why I couldn't get into sports was because it would be a waste of time. What are you going to do when you come out of sports? What are you going to be a, be a coach, a sports coach? What are you going to get out of this? Are you going to play nationally and internationally and make a living out of this. And that became a means to an end. It had, a, it had to have an end point. It had to have an end game to it. It had to have an exit strategy to it. But what if we got to stop finding exit strategies for everything that we got to do and instead the only exit strategy is that we got to 
play full out. We got to give it our all. We got to have fun in the process. We got to enjoy ourselves. We got to be alive. Isn't that what life is all about? It's just to be alive and to create and to build. And sometimes those things fall like a sandcastle in the sand when the waves wash up to the shore and knock it over. We just rebuild it because guess what? There's more sand. There's more sand to, to be shaped. When do we stop making that process wrong and shaming failure? And we hear that all the time when you look at Instagram and you look at those motivational quotes, failure is not an option. But this is what I realize is that without permission to fail, we can't go full out. We can't play full out. We can't push our boundaries. We can't go out there and be outrageous and take a risk because we need 100% certainty that's going to work out before we go for it. And that is the very thing that caps our potential, the very thing that stops whether or not we take the leap or not. Because there's no way that we're going to take a leap if, if it's predicated on needing that leap to land, to be guaranteed that we can see where it's going to be and we need to do all the calculations that have in our head that it's going to be 100% certainty that we're going to land somewhere worth landing, then we take the leap. But here's the thing is that there's so many things in life that the juiciness of it comes from the aliveness of being in the process, the aliveness of going for it and being willing to fail and fall and get back up and try it again and rebuild again. And what if we got to let go of the shame that's associated with that? And what if it got to be less about the shame of failing, therefore we're a failure, but we got to celebrate the courage that it took to even go for it, the courage that it took to be in the process, the strength it took to keep going, and also the courage and the strength it takes to say no and walk away. And that's why in this, in this process, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really proud of myself that I am willing and, and have the courage to listen to my heart to walk away. Because I think so, so many times there's also things that we stay in for too long because we feel like we're going to let people down or we have expectations that it's going to work out or, or um, that we just can't fail. Because if we failed, that would mean that we are not enough, that we, f- we are failures. Not that we failed, like the thing failed, but that we take that on as our identity. And that is something that has followed me around my entire life because I was so terrified that what would it mean for who I am if I failed? And I didn't feel like I had permission to fail because I felt like my wife was depending on me. My son was depending on me. My parents were depending on me to, to, to bring them honor and feel like I didn't let all of their hopes and dreams and their hard work and their their sacrifices and their money go to waste, I can't fail, especially for me. I'm an only child now. After my sister passed away, I really felt like I really can't fail because I'm the only one left. And I'm curious if you can relate to that, where there's been a time in your life where you felt like, I can't. There is no other way. But I want to let you know today and I want to open up the possibility of what if, what if it's okay to fail? What could be possible if you gave yourself permission to fail and know that you're still going to be okay at the end of it, that the failure isn't the end. 
And if anything, that you can be proud of yourself that despite the outcome, that you gave it your all. And what if that was the measuring stick? Was, did you play full out? Did you play full out? And so in this second last episode of my podcast, this is actually the the first one that I've done with absolutely no notes or any kind of pointers ahead of time. I always usually sit down and kind of think about some bullet points. I don't script everything, of course, but I I usually have some bullet points. This is the first one. I'm like, you know, I'm just going to go in here and I'm going to riff. I'm going to be authentic and in the moment, whatever comes up, comes up and allow myself to be messy. I actually found that. Um, was something, well, I knew this for a long time. I hate mess. I don't like gooeyness. I don't like playing in the sandbox. I don't like mushy things in my hand. I like things to be clean. And so when I, my son was born, especially recently, he's, he's now eating solids, freaking drive me nuts that I have to pick up his soggy piece of squash off of the floor, his soggy piece of half-eaten zucchini, and have to pick up after him where I have to clean a super soggy plate um, or, you know, the, the random mushy food that's just like stuck between the crevices of the high chair. So uncomfortable. But I think in this season of my life, and I think what my son is teaching me is that it is okay to be messy in life. Things don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have everything sorted out. It's okay to figure things out on the go. It's okay for things to just, you know, be a little bit mushy and not perfect. And that doesn't mean anything about who I am as a person. It's just that the process is messy. And the process of messiness allows us to actually discover who we are, discover what makes us tick, discover what works for us and discover what doesn't. And shouldn't that be celebrated in itself? Isn't that what life is all about? And one thing that comes to mind for me right now is that scene in Dark Knight Rises. That scene where Batman is in the cave uh, that uh, I don't even know what it's called. It's like this hole where all the prisoners are. And the only way to get out is to climb out of it. It's this like ginormous well prison underground. And you can see the sky, but you can't reach it. You can't reach above the well unless you climb this wall. And this wall, no one has made the climb except for a child. And Batman kept going over and over and over with this rope. So the only thing that you have, because you can fall to your death, is this rope, right? So this rope, he would climb it, he would climb it, he would climb it, and he would just keep falling. And there's just all these scenes over and over of him just like, ugh, ugh. He's just like getting whiplash, right? From falling and this like rope would catch him. And of course it would hurt, but you would still be alive. You wouldn't break your neck. So he just kept going and he kept failing. He was so frustrated, right? And you'd see, he just like kept trying to get stronger and stronger and doing sit-ups and push-ups and pull-ups and everything. And there was a blind man in the next cell. And he said that you're never going to make the climb. He's like, I'm going to make the climb. He's like, you're never going to make the climb. And he said, there's only one. He's like, has anyone ever done it? He's like, yes, the child. And he said, if you are going to make this climb, do as the child did. And I'm paraphrasing here. And he said, what's that? And he said, climb without the rope, because that is where fear will meet you. And in that conversation, Batman would say that he wasn't scared of death. And the old man said that is the exact reason why. That is the exact reason why you can't make the climb. Because death is what keeps us alive. That fear of dying, that fear of my life is going to end, the fear of like, this is it. Like I have no more time. That is what drives us to get up and do something every single day. And when we lose that fear, what's the point? It's like, we're just complacent. 
we start being in mediocrity, which I have been. I have been for a while myself as well. There are many areas of my life where I'm just like sitting in mediocrity. And because things are so comfortable, it's like, I don't really have an incentive to do anything about this right now. And that has, that has held me back for so long, so long in my life, especially my entrepreneurial journey from creating the type of success that I know I'm capable of. But it's because I've also been climbing the wall with the rope. And when finally Batman decided to make a climb, make the climb, make the climb without the rope, you know, he was climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. He reached this one point where he had fallen every single time. And, you know, the men are chanting below, they're chanting below, right? There's this like chant that they do. And he looks at it and he jumps. And as he's in midair, you see him flying through it and then boom, his hand catches that rock and swings. And there's this roar of cheering from down below. And from that rock, he's able to pull himself up and the rest of the climb is a breeze and he gets out of the well, right? And of course, he goes back to Gotham City. And I think just the really powerful lesson there is what could be possible if we gave ourselves the opportunity to fail, if we gave ourselves permission to fail, and that the only outcome that we should that even matters is that we gave it our all that we took a leap of faith that we risked it all we left it all on the table we played full out and that was actually the secret the secret sauce to creating a fulfilling purposeful joyful alive life what if that was the key and so today my question that I want to leave you with is what could be possible in your life if you gave yourself permission to fail? What if failure no longer defined you? Failure is data. It is a neutral event. And what if failing didn't mean that you were a failure? And what if you knew that you would be all right, no matter what, no matter how it turns out, and that the only thing that you need to focus on is are you happy in the journey? Are you joyful in the journey? Does it bring you joy? Does it bring you purpose? Does it bring you fulfillment? Do you feel alive? How would life be different if you gave yourself permission to savor it, no matter what the outcome is? And so once again, I am so incredibly thankful for you being on this journey with me, whether this is the first time you've ever heard my podcast whether you've been with me through all 35 of my episodes, I'm just incredibly grateful that you have been in the audience and shared this stage with me. It is incredibly humbling to step out and sometimes just wondering, is anybody listening? Is anybody out there? Is anybody going to hear this? Is it going to make a difference? And even if it reached one person and it made a difference for you, um, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving me that gift to share your time with you, to share your head, your you know headspace with you, to be in the space of growth um, alongside you. And I hope that even if it was one thing that you got to take away from any of these podcasts episodes that I've done, that I hope that it made a difference for you, that I hope I made your day that much better, that I hope I made your, your day that much lighter. I hope that you know there was some wisdom in there that you got to take away that made your life that much richer, that much richer. 
And I thank you so much for making my life richer, for giving me the opportunity to be on the stage and be able to share my voice and be able to put it out there into the universe and for you to be gracious enough to be on the receiving end of it. So thank you so much. I um, really am such so, so honored to be on this, to have been on this journey and had the opportunity to, you know, be, um, you know, a, a very small part of your life, but to hopefully have made an impact no matter how, how big or small. It's made it a little bit bigger, brighter, more joyful, more impactful, more um, wisdom filled and more fulfilling for you. And so next episode will be my very last one. Uh, I'm not going to say forever, but possibly for, for a very long while. Um, and I look forward to really ending this journey with a bang with you. And so until next time, keep being fully unapologetically, authentically you. We'll see you next time. The Yes I Can podcast is directed by Paul Can. Executive producers of the podcast are Paul Can, Chelsea Lynn, and Joy Sauce.